Hallelujah. And it's verse 29. 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And then verse 32 says, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are your youth. You are a youth, a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When you keep father's sheep, what does that that denote that you are? Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, a protector. But a shepherd. And a shepherd, that's part of his, his or her responsibility, is that they are a protector. So it's interesting. He's speaking in the context of shepherding. Huh. Interesting. He says, when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it, delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. Now, when you're talking about grabbing the beard of a lion... My assumption, I'm just assuming here, is that you have very quick hands. I'm just saying, grabbing the mane of a lion. Courage is not enough. You've got to have some speed. Because if you're, you're courageous, you walk up to a lion and get eaten, you're a courageous dead man. But you're absolutely right. That's part of it. You can't be... You can be fearful and fight a lion. So David had a combo of stuff there. He had a shepherding heart. He was courageous, absolutely right. Very courageous, actually. But he was dexterous. He had a lot of speed. And the man knew what he was doing. You don't fight a lion or a bear without knowing what you're doing. So here, there's an intimation that God gave him an anointing, not just uh, to shepherd in the sense that we know shepherding, which is... um, care, bringing the sheep over to the water, bringing them to green grass. So we, we know that part. But what about this part? Whoa. So there's an anointing of shepherding that's downright tough, downright courageous. Hallelujah. So I went out. After I struck it, I caught it by its beard. I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed, that's verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defiled the armies of the living God. And verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So he was giving props to Almighty God. He was saying, God's the one that gave me this dexterity. So he's the one that delivered me. Even though I have these things innately that God gave me, I recognize it's God who gave it to me, and I recognize it's God that ultimately delivered me. So there was a partnership there between him and God in terms of him delivering the sheep in his shepherding gifting. Hallelujah. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Hallelujah. So Saul clothed David with his armor, but he, and he put the bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. Mail is like a, a metal covering. And this metal covering uh, would not allow you to get stabbed. It it protected you. So David fastened his sword uh, to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested 
this type of apparatus before. And David said to him, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So he took the staff in his hands, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling, which his sling, say with me, his sling, his sling, which was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grant us uh, great wisdom and understanding concerning this anointing and how, uh, Lord God, it actually is in operation today. It might manifest itself differently, but it's still in operation today. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk a couple of minutes about that because when Jesus uh, came on earth, one of his titles that were given to him was uh, shepherd. He is the pastor of all pastors. He's the shepherd of all shepherds. So he actually is the prototype, not David. David was an example, a prototypical example of Jesus. So if you think David was great, you got to look at this man, Jesus. Yesterday I was talking to the guys that, you know, you have these pictures of Jesus, which are, I mean, they're beautiful in their own way, their art, but they don't represent the true true Jesus. You see him crying, and he's really milky, you know, soft, and he's looking at you, he's going like this. (laughs) And he's got long hair, he just seems so meek and so weak. No, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus was a carpenter. And I don't know if you've ever held the hands of a carpenter. Uh, a A carpenter, if he slaps you, you're going down. So rough and tough guy, rough and tough dude. Yeah, yeah, plumbers and carpenters, you don't mess with them. They have iron in their hands because what they deal with all the time. And uh, uh, Jesus was actually able to withstand the desert, 120 degrees during the day, 40 or 30 degrees during the night. That's a man's man. He fought with the devil. The demons uh, ran away. (laughs) One time he went by the temple and he saw people selling in the temple And he took off his belt and started beating on them, chasing them out. That's a man's man. I don't know what your example of Jesus is, but my example of Jesus, he's a shepherd that is loving and tender, but he is powerful, and you don't mess with him. And then then the other area is uh, Jesus said, I am meek. Now, the word meek does not mean weak. The word meek means you know how to control your power. You know how to control your authority. You don't flaunt it unnecessarily. How many of you have a very fast car? Raise your hands. Anybody have a fast car? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Work with me today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really... Anything beyond running, I guess? Good question. What is fast? Well, fast in the city is anything over 55, I gather, right? But let me ask you a question. If your car can go 120 or 140 or 180, why don't you do it all the time? It's dangerous. It's reckless. It's against the law. It's a whole number of stuff. So even though we have the potential power of 180, we will not manifest the kinetic power of 180. Why? Because we have wisdom. And we have a police officer right behind us. 
hello. You see, Jesus had power to such a degree that if he would call upon angels, legions of them would show up. At any given time, even while he was on the cross, he could have released his authority and power and boom, people would have been destroyed all around him. In a heartbeat, all he had to do was speak a word. People were gone. But he didn't. He controlled himself. And that's my Jesus. He had the power. He had the anointing. And every once in a while he showed little snippets of it. But let me tell you, if he were to manifest his full power here on earth, we wouldn't be able to take him. You, you, you don't understand. You don't know the level of anointing and authority he was walking here on earth. How much he had to contain himself to be able to fulfill his part of this awesome story and this awesome historical uh, um, breakthrough moment called the cross experience. My God. See, sometimes I wish... When I say wish, you know, I would, well, yeah, I just, man, I, it would be so cool to have superpowers for a moment. Especially when I run into somebody I don't like. No, serious, I would love to be Superman for a day. You know how many people I could get back? Forget about saving the world, man. Let me just go and slap some people real fast so that they not know about it. Break a couple of knees. No, why not? Break a couple of knees. Uh, the guy deserves it. The one I'm looking in my mind right now, he really deserves it. <laughs> he deserves it. <laughs> but the, the level of maturity on how you use your power determines your level of greatness. Any per- see, any person could think that way. But how great was Jesus that he had that authority and then some on earth, but he always chose to keep his posture. To fulfill his father's will. Wow. I think about those things sometimes. Jesus, how hard must it have been for you to walk in this earth and deal with some of the knuckleheads that you had to deal with? Really? Really? If somebody just tells you something. I know you're from New York and from Jersey and related areas, right? If somebody tells you something, immediately you snap back at them. You go to them, excuse me, we're in an educated age. We don't have to take this nonsense. And especially you ladies. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. You constantly reminding us, hey, we're in an enlightened late. We don't have to take this nonsense anymore. <laughs> oh, you, you tell us in a heartbeat. And you know, you're right. I'm not, I'm not arguing the point. But Jesus, at any given moment, says, you, gone. And he didn't. Because he was so focused on his purpose. And then what happened when they slapped him? Nobody would take that today. In this church, none of you would take that. Somebody slaps you, literally, there's a joint connected with that person's hands. The second the hand goes like that, your hand goes like that too. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> connected. Sorry. Oh, you know that to be true. They slapped Jesus. They pulled his beard. They beat him 39 times with that, that heinous object. And finally, they crucified him on the cross. Wow. And all that time, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. I do this for them. I love them. Whoa. What type of love is that? It, it's beyond my understanding. She said, do they want to talk about that? Because my title today is we're not alone in ministry. We're, we're in this together. Your suffering is my suffering. We suffer together. We rejoice together. We, 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 we win the football games together. I mean... We, we, we pray and play together. Hallelujah. 
Brandon's laughing because Brandon was another one. I forgot to mention that. He was hiding over there. You know, he, he's such a cheater. The first, he goes behind the guy, hides, and he goes like, oh, oh, me, me. So they gave me eight guys in a team. I don't know who they are. So I thought it was my guy. So I threw it perfectly right in his chest. But he was lying. He was, he was not part of my team. You're not part of my team. And I throw the ball. He catches. Oh, interception. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop, stop a second here. <laughs> so I want to let you know I, I need to employ forgiveness to half of them. Praise God. What was that? Hallelujah. I need to teach you how to play football is what I need to do to teach you. Dr. John Maxwell said this years ago. He said, you make me better than I am. You multiply my value to others. You enable me to do what I do best. You give me more time. You represent me where I cannot go. You provide community for my enjoyment. You fulfill the desires of my heart. I can never thank you enough. You know who he was talking to? He was talking to, about his team. There's a dedication service, and that's what he shared. Yeah. And that's the truth. We make each other better. For what purpose? Well, what are we a church for? It's all those precious people that don't know Jesus yet. When Jesus was on the cross and he was saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what I'm doing. They don't understand. It's for them that I do this. And now that he's been kind to us and our eyes have been opened and we see the love of God, we see the grace of God, the fact that he saved us and delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us to the kingdom of his dear son. Now that we have open eyes, now we need to understand and, and, and see the benefit and the value of each other. That we can war together, that we can pray together, that we can labor together, that we can build together. Very valuable, very important. And he teaches us this. We all have a place at the table. Say to your neighbor, you all have a place at the table. So what we need to do is find a place for and with each other. We need to find a place where we belong. Uh, Pastor Matt mentioned, he referenced, uh, referenced yesterday that... Uh, you might not know where your place at the table is just yet. So just serve. Just get active. Do something. Uh, do some ushering. Uh, you know, start helping the Sunday school. Maybe it's the children's ministry. Whatever. Just get active. And after a while, you'll start seeing the things that you just flow naturally in. But it comes from just active serving in the kingdom of God. Working as unto the Lord. Our significance really will never be found ultimately in the advancement of ourselves. Our significance will be in the impact that we have upon others. Do so you want to be big and bad? You want to be known? How many people are you impacting? Or is your greatest impact that you get home in the afternoon and watch las novelitas? Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating against the novelitas. Some of those shows are pretty decent. <laughs> Good entertainment for an hour. Good cameras, right? But who are you impacting? That's what I'm talking about. When we start impacting others, God says, here's one of my children that I can trust. I can work through them. And he rejoices when we catch his heart. So it is a great blessing for us to do that. So where are we most valuable? It's a question. Where are you most valuable? Simply put, where you add the most value. Think about it. Where are you most valuable? Well, wherever you put the most value. 
So where are you adding the most value in your life right now? What can Jesus look at in your life to see, wow, my son, my daughter is adding great value to the body of Christ, to, to their communities, uh, to the people that I love? Where are you adding the most value? Well, let me change the question. Where are you adding any value? Some of you, mothers, for example, you're adding the most value with your children because you're spending time with them and you're teaching them the Word of God. You're nurturing them in the ways of the Lord. You're, 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 you're a, being a blessing to them. You're raising up another generation. That's great value. You men in the workplace, you'll talk to your friends and every once in a while, boom, you get into the topic of quote-unquote religion and you start talking about Jesus. You're adding value. Because it's not about uh, that, the, the big thing. It's about one-on-one, -on -one, impacting the people. One-on-one. -on -one. Hallelujah. And that's the greatest benefit we can give. So let your strength, say with me, let my strength. Let my strength. See, let your strength exude in your service in the kingdom of God, but in such a way that grace flows out, that God's love comes out. I'm dealing with one of my supervisors right now. He's an authorit uh, authoritarian. What's the word? Authoritarian? As, this is what I want. Uh, but no, 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 no. This is what I want. Plain and simple. See, so in that case, you, you don't have much creativity around. You just got to do what you're told to do. All right? So I'm saying, wow, not much grace there. So in the kingdom of God, we cannot serve that way. We have to open up for other ideas. We have to look constantly at the opportunity to see where the giftings are at so we could co-labor and make the biggest impact for the people that we serve. Hallelujah. Let your presence, let your energy, let your service be an inspiration to others. Who are you inspiring lately? Are you inspiring anybody? Let's make sure that we count each and every day. Yesterday we spoke about the power of time. Time is a gift. You woke up this morning not because you wanted to, but because God allowed you to. It's a gift. But it's also a tool. Because during the day, I can decide, since God gave me the privilege to wake up, I can decide to take care of this goal, that goal, and that goal. So at the end of the day, I'm closer to achieving the things that God placed in my heart. Or I can absolutely just waste my time, say, how's everything? Oh, you know, same old, same old. No changes. Life is still hard. You know, I still got that crick in my neck. I still got that, you know, corn on the bottom of my toe. You know, just so I always have something nasty happening to me. And, and this person spoke bad to me. And, you know, nobody loves me in my family. My job is horrible. I hate my boss. And you're going, whoa. Oh, man, some people, man, this just, it's just a calamity. But the truth of the matter is, we can make changes in our day that can create a better or more beneficial future. So we can use time. But let our presence, let our energy and service be felt each and every day. Each and every day is a gift. Therefore, we need to make sure we use it to the max. One guy named Houston said this, The strength of a church should not be measured by its size, but in the evidence of real impact on the lives of people. Wow. How are we impacting people? So in, in thinking about that, Mike Murdoch one time shared various points on the life of David, this issue of his battle. Number one, when he looked at the life of David, and specifically that experience as he got ready to fight Goliath, 
First point was that God will give you tools as well as the wisdom you need to be able to fight against your enemy. What did God give David to fight Goliath? Gave him a slingshot. What else? A what? Yeah, he gave him dexterity. What else? Strength, because David was very strong. Okay, okay, okay. Practice now takes it to the next level. And that was one of the points, but here's the issue of practice. God gave David an innate ability, but now David took it to the next level, and he practiced day in and day out. He just didn't show up one day with a sling. By the time he got to Goliath, he had already used that slingshot over and over and over and over and over again. And he continued practice until he became perfect. Notice, he didn't come to this battle and say, you know, I'm going to try this. I've never tried it before, but I'm going to fight against him. And I hope, uh, you know, what I'm thinking comes out. No. He says, okay, Goliath. He scanned him and he saw right in the middle of the guy's helmet, there was a little space right there. Just enough space to get, let me see, maybe a smooth stone in there. So he said, okay, king, I'll go fight this guy. So the king immediately, according to his knowledge of war, he puts on him this huge armor. And David, not knowing how to work with this armor, he wasn't trained as a classical warrior. So he puts it on, he goes, "Uh, I can't fight with this stuff. This stuff takes my dexterity away. There's a great teaching there because what happens is many people want you to be like them. You cannot wear another person. You have to be you. See, I can't tell you how to do stuff A, B, C, D, E. I give you the macro point and you're going to do it your way. You might not handle it the way I handle it. But you're going to handle it. But I, I can't put my armor on you. You can't be my clone. You have to do it your way. Hallelujah. So David said, kindly, sir, I respect you, but let me do it my way. I got this thing here. I got this thing here. And and with that, I already seen the fact that I'm going to bring this guy down. I know exactly. God gave me a strategy as to how to bring this guy down. Now, if he would have explained to the king, the king would have said, you're crazy. There's no way you can do that. Guns didn't exist at that time. Nowadays, we know from a mile away, a guy could take a gun and literally hit a bullseye the size of... This head right here. We know that now. They did not know that then. But he had a technology. It was called a slingshot. So when he's fighting with David, with with, with Goliath, he goes, boom. He focused, laser pinpoint focus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the practice, with dexterity, and everything that God gave him, he gave him tools to topple somebody that was impossible to topple down according to their known ways. This guy was not just a fighter. Goliath was the champion among them. He was the man. David was not supposed to be even in the same ring with him. But yet he toppled him down. Because God gave him tools. So my question is, if God gave him tools, can he give you tools? I would submit that you have more tools than what you realize. You have more, t- more tools to deal in your job, in your home, with your family. You have tools. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the wisdom of God. You have the word of God. You have prayer and fasting. You have prophetic insight. You have, you have prophetic words that can shift the situation in a heartbeat. Hallelujah. You have divine wisdom and revelation and, and, and discernment to be able to know how to take a situation and disarm it. Hallelujah. Second thing is, our abilities are unique. 
so that we can't war like others. Take the principles of successful people. Don't try to imitate them to such a degree that you look like them. See, I love mentors, so I extract from them principles. I don't try to imitate them to the point that I look like them because I'm unique. I will fail if I try to imitate that person from A to Z. So what I try to find are the timeless truths. What's, what, what's, what makes you successful? Well, they get up early. They work on their calendar. They see the calendar the whole year through. Just last week, I was on a conference call with one of my mentors. And he, he said, it's time again, guys. I said, what's time for, doctor? He says, time to get your 2011 and 2000 calendar, 2012 calendar set. I went, okay, I understand 2011, but this boy's talking 2012. Yeah, because what you do in 2011 will give you success for 2012. So you started saying, now you need to do, you get the macro issues and then the micro issues and talk to your teams. I said, wow. Okay, well, I was in the process of that, but let's add 2012 then. Let's do that. Let, let's, let's expect Jesus any moment, but work like if he's not coming in 100 years. And build and build long term for the benefit of our children and grandchildren. So we have abilities that are unique to each other. Hallelujah. The third point is David knew the source of his strength. He said this. He said, God will give me the victory. Now, I love this because here we have a man that although he knew God was going to deliver him, he wasn't lazy. There are some people that say, well, God will take care of it. But they do nothing. No praying, no working toward it. No actions toward helping the situation out. You have to do like it depends on you. But at the same time, you have to believe like God is going to help you and ultimately give you the victory. When God sees you partnering with him, things will happen. When God sees it's just that you just don't want to do anything, just sit there and, and let things happen, and have people come up, come up and give you stuff, that's when it's not going to happen. And that's what we need to discern. Are we in that place where we're just simply lazy? Or are we in the place where we're partnering with Almighty God? I'm not going to get any amends on this one. I got half of the congregation give me the malocchio. You're meddling now. I know, I know, but I got to say, I have to say that because I, I've seen that in the kingdom of God where many Christians, they get into this fatalistic thinking. Well, what's the use? Jesus is coming. They've been telling, they've been saying that since I've been alive and then some. So we have to work not believing that Jesus is coming tomorrow. So what's the use of going to school? What's the use of doing this? What's the use of doing that? You know, I wasted a lot of my time with that thinking. That was wrong theology. So here I am. Not preparing because Jesus is coming any moment. So I, I didn't go to school earlier. I didn't do some things that I wanted to do because my mentors at that time told me, well, just don't focus on that too much. Jesus will be here any day. <laughs> he didn't show up. The bottom line is what Jesus told us to do is occupy until he returns. Occupy. Military term. Take land. Take ground. Advance. Go forward. Prepare for next generations until he returns. When he returns, boom, okay. Well, uh, the, the master spoke. Now we, we shift in season. But until then, let's work. Let's, let's, let's advance the kingdom of God. Let's continue blessing people as much as we can. Fourth, uh, did I say fourth point already? No. Fourth point. David knew that God's strength was greater than any attack of the enemy. He knew it. He knew the devil was big and bad, so to speak. Goliath was big and bad, but God is stronger. God is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
Hallelujah. Fifth point is David's victory was hidden in his daily disciplines. David was a very disciplined person. He got, he got up very early, tended the sheep, took them over to the green grass, took them over to the babbling brook, and protected them. You know, I love that anointing, and, and let me get to that point now, because I broached it earlier on. How many of us understand that part of our responsibility as a local church is to extend that shepherding, anointing, and gifting, and the practical applications of shepherding to all, to every single one of us? And to those that are coming in. How many of you know that? It's not only me. It's not only the leaders. All of us are called to extend that shepherding gift. Actually, uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't an evangelist, but we ha- he had to do the work of an evangelist. So in other words, there are some of you that won't be called pastor, but you'll extend that pastoral care to others. How? In small groups, as you visit a hospital. As you help tell, take care of some people and pray for some people on the job, uh, you take care of your family, you, you take the words of a shepherd, take them and take care of your children, take care of your home, take care of your husband, take care of your wife. Hallelujah. Get involved with community and extend that shepherding care. Hallelujah. But also, what about that issue that got him angry and says, well, I'll do this. Can I say another point about this? I guess I'll just say it because nobody told me Okay. How many of you know the Lord did not say, Yea, my son David, you are to go and fight Goliath. You'll take the smooth stone and you shall sling it right through the face into his brain matter. How many of you know God did not tell him that? He just decided to do it. He said, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to get involved. And this is my problem many times with people also. They're waiting for a heavenly voice. You want a heavenly voice? Okay. The Lord says to you today, get involved. Get active. Serve me. Bless the people. Get involved with community. (laughs) You heard your voice. Yeah, we're waiting for, uh, you know, a, a dream or a bolt of lightning to hit us on the head and, and, you know, right on the side of our head, go work, go do something. You know, David didn't wait. He just says, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to, I'm, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to do something. And, and God <laughs> backed them up. You know what I love about this thing? David was a nobody according to that scenario. He was not supposed to be the guy that won the victory for Israel. It was supposed to be the mighty men of valor. But yet this guy goes in, takes down the giant, and suddenly now the king is saying, this is my boy. <laughs> the king. Imagine, imagine on TV, you do something great in a community. Suddenly you've got Obama wrapping his arm around you. This, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, who said it can't happen? It happens all the time. People with, quote, unquote, no name run into that burning building or throw themselves in the river because somebody's drowning. Or or, or they do something out of the ordinary and suddenly become heroes. Well, David did something that shifted literally the, 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 the protection of an entire nation because this battle would have determined who was the one in ascendancy in that place, in that time, 
in that geopolitical structure. Wow. But yet the Lord did not specifically tell him he just did it. And it was right, and he got the victory. What have you had in your hands so close that you could have got involved in? And yet you backed off because, well, I'm not getting any confirmation here. No, sometimes you just have to get in there and just handle it. Asking God for wisdom and just get it done. The next thing is that David expected to be used mightily. How many of us expect to be used mightily of God? I mean, you've got to get to that point. Just expect that God's going to use you. Expect that in the workplace that God's going to give you grace and favor. He did not say that you won't have any problems. What he said is he'll help you to overcome it. What he said was greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So I know when I get in there, I'm going to have a battle. This was not something where David and Goliath sat down and had some tea and crumpets. They weren't battling on a 360, you know, virtual fight. This was real warfare. And David went in there, and his attitude was, uh, I'm bringing this guy down today. So people, don't worry, don't worry. King, don't worry. Brothers, don't worry. Meanwhile, the brothers were seething at him. They were, they were upset at him. Who do you think you are? You're supposed to come just bring us some cheese and bread, man. What are you doing in the battle? Go back to tending your little sheep. You know, it upsets me. When we belittle each other. It upsets me when we don't see each other's gifting and anointing and potential. So his own brothers didn't confide in him. But this kid had in him such a confidence and such such an expectation. He knew that God was going to do something great through him. So he went in there with confidence. Far too long I've seen Christians. God's good. I'm a worm but God's good. No, you're not a worm. You were a worm. But now you're a man and a woman of God. You are a prince. You are a princess. You are a royal priest. You belong to a royal kingdom. You are a royal citizen. And God, God, he, he, He made you in His DNA. He said, let's make man in our own image. And He said, then He blessed them. And He said, be fruitful and then multiply. And in Christ Jesus, once again, we receive the release to be all that we are called to be in life. Hallelujah. So we've got to walk with expectation. Every day, walk into the day with expectation that God is going to mightily use you. Well, you might not get uh, President Obama wrapping his arm around you. You say, well, that's what I'm talking about. But you'll minister to that one person. You'll minister to that co-worker. You'll minister to that family member. You'll minister in that small group, whatever it may be. You will be used mightily of God. So expect it. Next thing David knew was he knew that his, his, his enemy would fall. He just knew that. And some of us, we get frustrated because we don't see the enemy fall quick enough. Well, that's where God is dealing with our patience. That's where God is working our patience, working our perseverance. Because he's coming down, people. Every morning, you've got to say, thank you, Lord, because the enemy is coming down. Thank you, Father, because this, thing, this situation is coming down. Hallelujah. And then the, the, the other thing is, David didn't retreat. He ran to the enemy. Oh, man, that's... Most of us, we get into a situation, first thing we do is retreat. 
No, you don't retreat. You run to the enemy. You run to your situation and deal with it. You don't hide from it. You don't deny it. You don't run away from it. You deal with it. You bring an end to it. You bring a resolution to it. You bring healing. Hallelujah. That's what you do. You don't run away from stuff. Glory to God. And then the last thing, he knew that his victory was necessary for the people. See, it's not about me. This is about the people I can help. This is about my children, my grandchildren. This is about my community. This is about my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is about those that that will live beyond me. Hallelujah. So it's necessary for me to be victorious because everybody around me needs me to be victorious. You know, there's some things you're holding within yourself that cannot activate until you use it. How many of you know salt is absolutely useless inside the salt shaker? The only time that salt is active is when you decide to take your salt, turn the salt shaker upside down, and actually apply the salt on the food. And then something interestingly happens. There's a chemical reaction that takes place where all the food starts tasting salty. But it won't happen until you decide to activate your salt by getting involved. When salt is involved within food, that is when la cosa está buena. The stuff gets good, gets delicious. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. But as long as we hold back and we don't share our salt, nothing's going to happen. I was telling the guys uh, on Saturday, yesterday, that it's an amazing thing, this, this energy thing. The first law of thermodynamics is that energy is not created nor destroyed. It just exists. It just is. We can transfer it from form to form. You know, you had a, a, um, an animal or a dinosaur live 10,000 years ago or 3 million years ago. I don't know. For the Ice Age, I don't know when. Some of these guys said, oh, yeah, they lived 10 million years ago. I said, prove it. Are you sure it's 10 million? What about 8.5 million? What about 3.2 million in five days? I said, it's ridiculous. They, they throw time around like it was, you know, and, and, and they talk like if it was a fact. They have no idea. But we do know they existed. Because as they die, uh, they get embedded inside the ground. So when you cut pieces of stone out, you can actually see that these things existed. You can't deny it. People say, well, the Bible says that the world's only uh, 7,000 years old. So no, it's not what it says. It's not what it says. You want to learn more about that? Go to Bible school. I'm just, I'm just joking. Let me just briefly share. Genesis 1.1, God made the heavens and the earth. When God makes something, it's perfect. So many theologians believe that, that Genesis 1.1 shows when God first created the earth. That could have been millions of years ago. Then Genesis 1.1. Two says the earth was void and it was out of order. But then in the book of Ezekiel, it says that at one point in heaven, there was a fight on heaven or in heaven, and the devil was thrown down. Lucifer was thrown down. So that could have created a great disorder here on earth. So some theologians believe that somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 was a span of millions of years. So there's your answer. You could, this, this ball, this globe, could have existed and that's uh, scientifically, it's what it looks what it is, like it is, millions of years, right? But in the midst of that, we had dinosaurs, we had strong mons- monsters here on earth that we call monsters. So this big dinosaur dies, and after thousands of years or whatever, tens of thousands of years, you can see it goes lower and lower in the ground and, and becomes a fossil fuel. It liquefies. When this big dinosaur was alive, he had power inside of him, a resident power. 
And he used it, and he ate grass, and he fought, and did whatever he had to do. He died. That power remained inside of him. And now it becomes a liquefied fossil fuel. The power is still there. Now, today, we have the technology to be able to suck up that fossil fuel, right, into canisters, into tanks, and we, we can clean it up, make it into a type of fuel that we can use, put it in our cars. Guess what? That fuel still has power. We call it potential power. The minute we release the power, how do we release the power out of that liquid? Oh, come on. You were there yesterday. He said combustion. He knows. Yes. By the magic of combustion. What happens is suddenly the power is released and it transfers to our wheels. It transfers to our axle. Now the car is moving. It's using the power that was there for 10,000 years. We also have power. The Holy Spirit gave us power. Acts chapter 2. He said, you shall receive. What did he say? You will receive weakness. He said, you'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem? Where? Judea? Samaria? And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. This power continues to flow. But guess what? There are many Christians walking around with potential power, but they're not releasing the power, allowing it to become kinetic power or activated power, released power. Right now in this room, we have so much power, we can literally change the world. Really, just, just in this room. But most of us will never release it because we never allow that combustion of the Holy Ghost to release the power. We never trust in God's ability in us. We'll see the giant and we'll go, oh, no, not me. And we walk away. Oh, we won't, we won't fight the fight. We don't want to get involved. It's too comfortable. And here is the problem. We always wait till it's too late. What we do now can actually push away. Part of the prophetic word a couple of years ago was God would buffer what is, whatever's coming to our shores if we would pray, if we would get involved, if we would, if we would reach out to people. But most of us aren't doing it. You know why? We're comfortable. Comfort is a great enemy because it doesn't allow you to advance. In all success, in all advancement, there is hard work. Well, one day I'm going to go to school. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to go to school until you decide to get out of your comfort zone and do it. You know when I know you're going to go to school? When you say, yeah, I'm doing it. And you sign the dollar line, you pay the check. That's when I know you're going to school. As long as you say, yeah, I'm going to get to it. It's a pipe dream. So I close with these two statements. Someone else needs you to win. Your victory will encourage others. Therefore, you must overcome your enemy. And we must do it together. In the coming days, we're going to have a lot of challenges. And I say, amen, let's go for it. Because the challenge and the crisis is what creates heroes. Is what creates champions. Champions are made for the crisis. How many of you people here just love problems? You just, you're, you're thrilled when you're involved with problems and issues and confrontations. Yet, that's where the champion is made. That time is when people advance the most. In your job, you hate your boss. He's making you do, uh, you know, check it twice, check it three times, do reports, do this. And now, the latest I've heard is that they are actually firing people or better said they're um, downsizing. Is that what they're calling it? So they're not firing anybody, they're just downsizing. 
But you got four. You were fortunate. You didn't get fired or downsized. But you know what did they what did they say? Now you have to do Harry, Sally, and Jerry's job, and Larry, Curly, and Moe's job too. So you have to do more with less. So what does that do to you? Oh, I just love it when I get more responsibility. I just have such a great time when I have to do Sally and Johnny's and, you know, Erica's job. Yeah? You love it? You want it? That's exactly the place of promotion. And in the coming days, in the kingdom of God, we're going to have to pray more, stand more, believe more, work together more. More responsibility. But guess what? That is where the, cha- the, the, the champions come up. That's where they are born. So are you ready for it? Amen. Amen. Uh, this row is ready for it. Amen. Amen, champions. Are you guys in the back, are you ready for it? Yes. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm going to pray that God sends you problems even this week. Yes. That's where the champions are. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you and we thank you for your kindness, your love, your tender mercies. And again, we thank you for the privilege of just waking up, the privilege of having another day. Each day, Father, is a gift. So we are grateful to you, Lord God, for for this privilege. We pray, Lord, that you would even show us, uh, Lord, the things that we can be getting involved in, whether we get a title or not. Whether we get accolades or not, that's not important. We want to serve as an extension of your love to this lost and dying world, this very confused world. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you would take these words and cause them to be personal revelation to your people today. And allow us the opportunity to see the things we can do throughout the week to be a blessing to others. Whether it be to pray for someone, give somebody some advice, to invite somebody to a church service, to invite them to a small group meeting, to invite them to dinner, to be able to identify their needs and pray for them and bless them, Lord God. And I would even pray, uh, Father, that you would even give us strategy and wisdom to be able to navigate during these uncertain times. Lord, as we see the news, it, it, it creates us to get, or rather, it creates a, a scenario where we get confused where we get concerned. We're hearing so many people, there's just not enough, there's just not enough, there's just not enough. But Lord, help us and give us wisdom to be able to effectively navigate financially, to be able to navigate in terms of business. Some of us here have had to take a lot more responsibility on our shoulders for the same pay. Help us to be able to turn this around and help our companies to succeed. And in the process, Lord God, that they might be able to see that we're just the person that needs the promotion. And, of course, the higher salary. And for the business people that are here, that you would grant them great wisdom, not just to survive, but to thrive. And in everything that we do, Lord God, may your shepherding anointing be able to come forth. So that we might be able to continue to bring people to the greener pastures and to the brooks that they may drink typifying your word and your divine provision and your wisdom. And Lord, when the enemy comes, the wolf comes, the bear, the lion, that we might be able to help our brothers and sisters and even those that are coming, uh, Lord, to be protected and to be nurtured here, that we might be able to protect them against these attacks and onslaughts, onslaughts, Lord God. 
Help us, Lord God. Strengthen us. Give us boldness in this day. Give us this type of confidence that David had. He went and ran to the enemy. Just so sure that that enemy was going down. Father, I pray that that level of confidence might arise within us as individuals, as families, and as a local church family, Lord God. And we'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah.